making that transition and relocating to the Lost Hope Valley, my wife Judy was as unwilling as me. We had uh, no real understanding for why all of a sudden she was in this kind of suffering pain. I just know that every day I saw her lying on the floor in traction for three to four hours just trying to stay functional. It, it was horrible. And it raised huge questions in our minds. Wow. I mean, after all, we're trying to do what we feel God called us to do in the sense that if we do what's right and we try to be obedient, that life will be good and life will be blessed. And yet, we were struggling Judy with physical pain, Norm with emotional pain, kind of blaming myself for my wife's condition. I must have been listening to the wrong voice. I must not have prayed long enough or hard enough, or certainly this can't be the right thing, but here we are. And actually, we kind of toughed it out for two years, not knowing what was going on. Not knowing that Judy had probably a lifelong affliction known as fibromyalgia because that was new to the medical community at the time. Not knowing that there in the Longboat Valley, there is the widest barometric pressure change of any place in the entire West Coast, which tends to wreak havoc with people who have inflammatory Finally, after two years, Christian doctor, wonderful gentleman that Judy was seeing, said, Judy, I'm going to make an appointment for you, but this time I want you to bring your husband. So at the appointed time, I joined Judy in the doctor's office. And the first thing this kind doctor said to me was, Norm, your wife is not going to get better My professional opinion is that any place she would move in the greater Southern California area, she will probably experience at least a 50% improvement. My wife just spontaneously blurted out, I'll take it! And then he said, I don't know how you do it. And I know it's challenging in your profession. But I, I've got to tell you, to a mentor friend that uh, had been an important person in my life, and I shared the dilemma. He said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've been thinking maybe I could be helpful at Point Loma National University. And his response was, oh, Norm, you can make a great contribution to Point Loma, but I really hate to see you ruin your to wrap 
Christ. Get a cheap cross here. There's something about those two words together that compute. I know one thing about it, love. It's never cheap. And yet I think sometimes we make a rather cheap gold-plated promise charm out of Romans 8. And in the face of deep pain and suffering, we dangle the charm. Oh, you have cancer? Remember Romans 8, 28? Your baby just died? dismisses the depth of the suffering, the hurt, the pain that human beings experience. Yet I, I believe that this passage is one of the most profound verses in Scripture. Question. How does God clarify his purpose? is so essential, if purpose is so important to well-being and emotional and spiritual health, how does God clarify his purpose for you and me? Well, Paul is pretty forthright that God is passionate about his purpose. He not only has a purpose, he is passionate about this purpose. This is his consummate commitment. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. chosen to focus his work on his purpose, accomplishing his purpose in your life and my life. And what is that consummate passion, purpose? It is that you and I will be more and more like his son, Jesus. That's what this is about. I wish you could have known my grandmother, Haney. Uh, she grew up in West Texas. She cooked at a southern spot. And every Sunday noon, she cooked fried chicken, and it was the ooey, gooey, drippy, greasy kind. And I just loved it. And we would have fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and turnip greens and black-eyed peas and cornbread, usually very fried. That's what you had if you came to Sunday noon meal at my grandmother Haney's house. Now, you didn't have to accept her invitation to come. But if you did accept that invitation, you were predestined to have fried chicken. Don't come expecting pizza or hot dogs. 
thinking that even God's purpose defies our calling. Paul says God knows, God works, God calls. What do you think about calling? What do you think about your calling? Hey, most of the time, the way we think about calling is I'm called to be a teacher, a social worker, I'm called to be urban, inner city, I'm called to be a missionary, a pastor, this is my calling. But I think of these as little sea callings, important, significant, but they're little sea callings, but Paul starts here talking about what I think of as a big sea calling for every one of us, and that calling is to share in the very being of God, to share the likeness of Jesus, to become Christ-like. That is our calling. And yet often, as I listen to us talk, it seems like we think of our life as a pre-written script, love Jesus, love God, and life happier and happier, easier and easier, richer and richer. I like this little prose that uh, somebody wrote. It's entitled, I think, Life is Lived Backwards. I think that the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first and get it out of the way. And then live 20 years in an old age home. And you can get kicked out when you're too young and get a gold watch, and you go to work. And you work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. And you go to college until you're ready for high school. And you go to grade school, and you become a little kid, you play, you have no responsibilities, you become a little baby. And you go back into the room, and you spend your last nine months floating. I like that. And you finish it off as a gleam in somebody's eye. And you know, it's really true. If the purpose of our life is just to be happier, life easier and easier, richer and richer, then it does seem that maybe the life is lived all backwards. But I hear tell you that God has something grander, loftier, more glorious. And that is that we bear the very likeness of Jesus. We love God with all of His heart, His Father, and live that love out in the relationship that we call So, that, let's think about another question. How does God equip us for this calling? I mean, when we think about calling as something that we're called to do, we usually set up schools, we have curriculum, we have instructors, we have exams, we have textbooks, we have PowerPoint presentations. 
his power to be on his guard to the wicked person, to see how does God clarify his purpose with you? Well, here's a response. I think it's faithful to the text. Here's an answer. It's three words. How does God work? Here it is. You ready? In all things. That's the answer. In the ups and the downs and the suffering and the joy and the good times, the bad times, in it all. In the process of this journey, that's where God is at work. And you say, wait a minute, Lord, what about this word, all? That's a God Almighty word. I mean, that's a big word. I mean, all? Uh, I mean, I can think of some pretty horrendous stuff, all. That our faith tells us that in the darkest day in human history, when Jesus, Son of God, hung on a cross, suffered and died, God, the Father, went to work. And suffering, pain, and death did not have the final word. Amen. And so I, I remember a Monday when I was in the pastor's study and the phone rang and it was my son Steve saying, Dad, can you come to Children's Hospital? Our baby has just died. Tuesday, the next day, we gathered at Mary's Perch Nursing Center for family. Some of you came to the hospital and were praying and encouraging us. And I was out talking with some of you about 7 o'clock in the evening when this side of me, the father began to raise up. I've got to do something about this. What do you do? All you can do is just be present. Show up. 
showed up prepared. You had written in my notes when they invited me to preach that they wanted me to speak on the sixth word of the cross, which is, it is finished. And even with the things that were going on in my family, I prepared and I was ready to preach on the sixth word of the cross. Gathered in the pastor's study, getting ready to walk down with the other ministers of Oklahoma to start the service. I was handed a worship folder and I opened it up and discovered that I wasn't speaking on the sixth word of the cross. They had me listed to speak on the fourth word of the cross, which is. My God, my God, why have My first thought was, Lord, you're not prepared. And then the Spirit said to me, you know, you're better prepared than you think. Because the great question at the foot of the cross is, where in the world is the as the sun is fucking And you know what? I knew the answer. He was suffering also. He was there. Present. In deep identification with the sun. And so I shared my journey of that weekend what I felt was this truth. And as I walked out at the end of the service after the benediction was prayed through the foyer to get to my car, a young woman, probably in her late 20s, just kind of came out of the woodwork and came right up into my face and she said to me, You think you're looking for love? I have good news 
just to pray for each other uh, quietly. The person on your left, person on your right, may be known to you, may be family member, may be a stranger, but let's pray for each other. Would you pray for that person on your right? Father God, we sense you're very close and near to us, and we thank you for Jesus who come all the way down into the stream of our own human experience. Be in the face of hope and love. ministering to us here in this moment. Would you unfold us in your arms of care and love today, especially that person who's standing in the middle of a big, big Thank you. 